You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. I am delighted to invite you, all listeners, to this morning show. It is 7.02 a.m. It is Friday the 10th of November 2023. And by the grace of Allah, we have a jam-packed show for you all. As always, um, I am joined by Sahil Munir Sahib Imam Sahil Munir. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Upon you as well. That's great. Um, we have, as I said, a jam-packed show for you all today. We have very interesting segments and topics for you. Uh, we have in segment one, we have attending to the sick and treating the ailing. And in segment two, we have exploring the flawlessness of nature the fascinating design of honeycombs. We will also have um, in-depth analysis and informative input by special guests as well. Um, I regular I want to encourage all listeners to um, call in as well. Um, our number is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and if you'd like to drop a comment on our X um, or Twitter handle. Um, our Twitter, our X handle is Voice of Islam UK. I think we should turn to the news now um, and what the papers say. So the the Metro says many many of Friday's papers leading with the questions about the future of Home Secretary Suella Braverman after she wrote an article accusing the Metropolitan Police of bias over its handling of left and right wing protests. The Metro says. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has so far resisted calls to remove Miss Braverman from her job. The headline reads, Gives Suella Marching Orders. The Times says number 10 told the Home Secretary to tone down her article and that it is now trying to establish the detail of how the piece was established without the formal approval. It adds that Mr Sunak, so that's our Prime Minister, is now said to be veying up Braverman's future and could bring forward a cabinet reshuffle planned for before Christmas in order to remove her. We have other articles uh, relating to this ordeal. And we continue with this kind of, um, these kind of news. Um, We go towards other pieces of news we see we see that the sky tourism hotspot tackling rubbish problem so we see that residents of sky and loch lash hope to increase recycling and waste generated by themselves and visitors we see in other news that there's an inquiry told child was we see that Widow demands answers after human's uh, husband's COVID files. So we see that Louise Slorence, whose husband was a senior servant, says his laptop could reveal crucial details. Shahzad, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I just want to say that, uh, you know, um, in the beginning about um, Suela Braverman and 
the, all those um, hair comments on the police as well. Uh, you know, for us civilians, it is always important that um, our the government, especially when they rule, they rule with justice, and even the police, if they if they work, if they rule, they also rule with justice, because this is something we are looking forward to. And um, if we see some kind of um, misunderstanding between both of them, we should also pray for, for the government because, as I said, we live here, we live, we can um, peacefully live our life here, we can also follow our religion, um, and uh, therefore we should be also really thankful, and the best thing to be thankful is to pray for these people and that Allah Talam, Allah, the, uh, the Almighty enables them that they can lead and rule with justice as well. Um, I just want to add that... Um, when I uh, when I read the, the newspaper, um, Jalis, I don't know if you have seen it, but mm-hmm. the last few years it's always been too much negativity in mm-hmm. the newspapers, and yeah. um, sometimes uh, you know, um, it's for me I was like starting judging humanity, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, I came to a point where I was thinking, is humanity even okay? What is wrong with us? Mm-hmm. Um, so many people who are dying, so many people who are been killed. That's the main point, you know. You you can die because you, maybe you're ill or you're weak. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But to kill someone, I think this is where a person will leave his humanity, mm. where you say that there's no human sources inside that person. I'm talking about because you know. Um, recently, uh, I've been asked that um, we have seen in the Islamic countries so many tensions. Uh, and especially in the Middle East, where we see this as well. And um, I told them that that person was asking me that he should look at the map of the world, and should tell me that if he can find any places where he can't, where he can say that people are living there peacefully. Yeah. And I said, look at the east. Look at uh, look at South Korea, North Korea. There's tension. You see tension between uh, China and Taiwan. These are not Muslim countries, mm-hmm. right? So, and then if you go uh, to the West, you have Russia and Ukraine, a big yeah. problem. Uh, you have, uh, in South America, you have many, many countries who can't, like, understand each other. And especially, in, even, like, you know, so you can't say that it's just an Islamic country. Yes, mm. media will focus on that, uh, because this is, like, I, th- I believe a propaganda against Islam. But also too important to remember, Jaleesa, is that it is not Islam or any religion who is teaching that. Besides, every religion is teaching about peace, and um, again, it is humanity who is has failed to follow their beliefs. And every negativity we see in media to counter this negativity, I believe it's very important that we need religion. I'm saying that to the listeners because Jalis, we're gonna discuss these topics which you have introduced. Yeah. And we discuss this from the Islamic angle as well. Absolutely. And the reason we discuss this from the Islamic angle is very easy. That's because um, you want to say that Islam can basically integrate or fit in it into every matter of the world. And uh, be a, like a worldly matter as well. Islam is guiding us. Um, and uh, today, um, I've just r- r- have one, again, very negative um, article in front of me from BBC. It's about a mom who fears that her baby will die after drugs are exed. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, the news is that a mom has said she will be forced to watch her baby daughter die if certain cystic fibrosis medicines are exed. Mm-hmm. The National Institute for Health and Care 
Excellences has withdrawn its recommendation for number cystic fibrosis medicine due to cost. Now, Charlotte Perkins, who's 38 years old, who has a daughter who's only 17 months old, whose name is Delia, has CF since birth, and she said she's de- devastated. Hmm. And she said, we are being forced into a situation where we are going to have to watch our daughter uh, deteriorate year and year until she dies after a very young age. And just can't do that. Now, Jalees, for everything, for every purpose, God has basically, in the Holy Quran, uh, given a solution. Absolutely. Is that like, listen, you see you see these things, you see these um, uh, disasters. Yes, we have in different parts of the earth. We had disasters in Turkey and Syria and Africa and South Asia, but also in North America, in Germany as well. I uh, just talking about the flood which came last few years ago, two years ago in Germany. Mm-hmm. Devastating, very devastating. Mm-hmm. Now, Jalees, of course, uh, if you say that, uh, okay, God, if there's a God, where's the solution then? Eh? Yeah. Why can't God just remove that from us? Yep. And uh, recently, you know, I just was uh, reading a very interesting um, verse of the Holy Quran. And uh, I just want to read it out um, because I believe uh, f- that this is basically the answer for everything, f- basic for everything we are looking for. So the listeners, uh, in the Holy Quran, um, in chapter al uh, uh, which means the prophets. So in that chapter, Allah Taala, God the Almighty, has said that if you want to go, if you want to have a solution, then become Abdus Saleh. Mm. Now Abdus Saleh means um, a very pious person, mm-hmm. slave or well, servant of God, right? Yep. And he said, if you become that, mm-hmm. right, everything will be gone. Uh, you know, you won't see any difficulty. So, basically, he has put a lesson to for us, right, in this world. And he said, if you want to get rid of death, these difficulties, then just become Abdul Saleh, become righteous people. Now, what is righteous people? What have we do? What is the first point? We should. What is the first thing we should focus on? Right? He said, focus on praying. Right. Mm-hmm. Start worshiping me. Right. Yep. With the requirement I have um, asked you to do to fulfill. And we see in this day and age, Jalees, a lot of people are getting away from Allah, are forsaking God. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we see more of these disasters. Right. Yeah. So he said that these are basically lessons for us that we should understand yeah. that these can be gone if we start changing ourselves as well. Absolutely. Now if we start becoming more righteous and spiritual as well. Of course there are people who are saying, okay, um, uh, I can be nice, I can be good, I can be a good person. Why do I need God for that? Well, in the end, you need someone who can guide you, who can tell you what is wrong and what is right. Uh, sometimes we make mistakes sometimes we don't know where to go and sometimes we need support as well and we can ask God for the support because he is there to support and to help as well so this is you know um, I was just thinking about this because um, every year it is like we are dragging ourselves into mm. more disasters yeah. and uh, we just don't realize mm. the bad ad- outcome which can be Come like which, or the bad thing which can start just 
soon after a f- couple of days or years mm. and uh, it's not i don't see any changing yet but I, you know islam has always encouraged us to have hope on humanity yeah and uh, this is what i do as well you know um i hope i hope in humanity i pray for humanity as well and of course for the world leaders as well absolutely but they have the powers they have the two uh, tools <coughs> to end all of these things mm-hmm. and um, this holiness you know jalisi has reminded them many many times and one thing i remember he said once is that to achieve that absolute justice needs to be there and we need to remove our ego we need to go against our ego yeah So I just wanted to focus on that as well uh Jalisa um, no I really appreciate that thank you so much for that for your profound words um something that you actually said um <coughs> regarding um the mother and um, mm. her fears for her child regarding cystic fibrosis um I actually came across um another article um is but th- th- this is about the vaccination of um a mosquito bite so the mosquito bite illness or the disease that you get when mm. you when the mosquito bites you is called um I hope I'm pronouncing it right it's a uh, chikungunya okay. so this is the disease that um that you get when a mosquito bites you and the US Food and Drug Administration has approved the world's first vaccine for this and it sees that um there's an emerging global health threat regarding this Um the mosquito borne bite disease causes fever and joint pains and can be fatal to newborns. Um and we see that this year alone 440,000 cases were reported including 350 deaths. Um and this is massive this is a, this, this this is on the rise this is something that maybe we need to look at. Mm. But um obviously as we see the the US has already approved a vaccine for it. And this reminds me of the hadith of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that God Almighty has um created every disease yes but he has also created the vaccine or the antidote or the cure for these diseases mm. so as you mentioned regarding your um the, the the peace regarding cystic fibrosis um God willing in the future we might see some vaccines rolling out for that as well um in the, in the near future I hope so yeah I hope so too because you know mm, especially when you've know so many young parents as well and um, you know as Jalis they have told me one thing that um even before they became parents like when they get blessed news that they will have a child in new 9 month it's like this is the moment where you got scared as well mm. and where you start praying a lot as well because it's a very difficult moment you don't know what you do you are just scared because the society is not not always nice to children and you know that mm-hmm. and uh, um what the f- the fear is that how can we can we look after them properly and can we save them as well and can we safeguard them as well and you start praying from the f- first day on when you receive the news right that the, your partner is uh, pregnant and you start praying you start asking Allah for help as well and um, mm-hmm. but then you realize Jalisa <coughs> this is very important as well that you are still a child as well of your parents yeah and you didn't realize what your parents have gone gone through yeah. what difficulties they have gone through and what sacrifices they made for us mm-hmm. and you know um the least in this you know god has given us many many blessings one of the blessings are parents absolutely yeah definitely and we just you know um, sometimes when i see children it is like they have taken this for granted 
So okay, I've, so I've got parents who what? But they don't realize what parents have done for them and how much love they have put into their children as well. And, and um, then also there are children without parents as well, orphans, mm-hmm. who never had that feeling or, or never had that love of their father and mother. Even though their parents surely would love them, but as you know, sometimes there's a situation that people are left alone with their blessings. You know, mm-hmm. we have totally perfect peace before them. Yeah. And uh, so we need, you know, we need to be, we need to understand that point that um, God has explained in Holy Quran as well that the status of parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a very famous incident which makes me sometimes very emotional as well that. Um, a companion came to see the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and he asked him, uh, should, who should I honor, respect the most? And um, no, you know, the Holy Prophet someone could say, you should honor me because yeah. I'm a prophet. Yeah. Or you should honor some other um, scholarly people. But regardless of that, he said, your mother. Yep. And then the companion asked him the same question, who should I honor after my, after my mother? And <coughs> the Holy Prophet again replied, Your mother. Then the companion asked a third time the same question, Who should I honor after my mother? And the Holy Prophet again replied, Your mother. Yeah. And uh, then he asked the Holy Prophet the fourth time, yeah. Who should I respect and honor after my mother? Yeah. And then the Holy Prophet replied, Your father. Yeah. You see that um, mothers, what they have gone through for us, what difficulties they have gone through for us, what the sacrifice they have made for us is, you can't, you can't just describe that and uh, you can't pay that off. Yeah. And um, therefore you should honor your mother as a queen, even more than that. Yeah. And uh, you know, the best honor a woman can receive is to know that Underneath her faith yeah. is paradise. Yeah. You know, for example, as uh, Jalise, um, no, uh, I have the blessing to be a missionary of the Ahmadiyya community, like you as well. And um, I have to lead prayers, even though I, I admit that I like to pray behind people instead of leading the prayer. Mm-hmm. But it is like uh, a duty given to me, so I lead the prayer. Right, I lead to prayer. I try to focus on God and I try to remember God as much as I can during the prayers as well. And, but you know, these prayers, if I think that, of course, prayer leads to paradise as well, but I, if I think that, that the Holy Prophet has given the honor to the woman instead of the Imam, mm-hmm. saying that he could say that, you know, the prayers of the Imam leads to, to paradise, mm-hmm. but he didn't. He yeah. said, the mother, you know, the f- underneath the yeah. even mother is paradise. So this is the honor given to a woman yeah. and this this honor is not given to anyone else Yeah, and here you see that people sometimes judging like there's no status in Islam for women or, mm. or why a woman why for example women can't lead prayers well the answer is that they have more duties they have more burden on them than they have n- and, and if you look at that, that <coughs> if I could choose you know I, I, I would choose to be someone who can like bring you towards um, paradise while telling them that the paradise is lying underneath my feet. Yeah. So this is the honor given mm. to a woman, to a mother, by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And and remember, we should remember that 
his mother passed away when he was only six years old. Yeah. So he he had the love. He fe- felt the love of his mother, but only for six years. And but still, he taught us that <coughs> it's very important that you honor your parents. Yeah. As much as you can. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for your profound input. That's that's very enlightening. Um, we see that this was actually at a time where women had no status no, in, no, yeah. in, in, in Arabia. <coughs> and uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, raised the status of woman so high. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think we turn back to the news just for a little bit longer. Um, uh, we see that there's a supermarket in the north, which is called Booths, and they're actually removing its self-service checkouts. And um, they're putting back uh, um, their workers behind tilts. We also see that fuel prices still cause for concern. And a new report has found while whole prices have dropped, petrol and diesel is more expensive. Um, We see banks are dragging their feet over fraud refunds. We see that the accusation comes as new figures name individual banks and show how much money they refund to victims. We swiftly turn to the news. Um, today we will see that cloud and rain clear from the southeast, leaving a largely dry day for most with sunshine. Scattered showers lingering along some coasts. However, they are cloudy and wet for the far northeast. Tonight, rain in the far northeast will ease and it will be a dry, clear and chilly night for most. Some showers will still linger along eastern and western coasts and Wales. After a chilly start tomorrow, uh, there will be largely dry and sunny patches, but we will also see a spot of cloud, uh, cloudy weather and the odd shower may linger for northern and eastern coasts, turning cloudier in the, the southwest by the evening. If you look towards Sunday and Tuesday, it's a cloudy start to Sunday with patchy mist and fog. A band of rain will push in from the east, reaching most by evening. It's going to be windy, uh, staying unsettled on Monday with cloud and rain for most, clearing to sunshine and showers in the south later. Again, windy mainly to the south, breezy on Tuesday with sunny spells, but also scattered showers for the west. And it'll be cloudier in the southwest later. That's it. That's it for the news. Um, I believe we're going to take a short interlude and we will come back and we'll be discussing sports and the current affairs of our community, any news that we have come across for our community. Thank you so much.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Thank you for joining us, joining us once more. You are listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. It is 7.26 currently. Um, we come back and we're going to go towards the news, the, the, the sports news that's currently doing its rounds. Um, this past week, we see a lot of uh, footballing news coming across. So, Al-Sab, um have you been keeping up, keeping up with the Champions League, possibly? Yeah, I've watched the match um, the day of uh, before yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, which was Manchester against Copenhagen. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, I chose this match because I had a feeling that Manchester is going to lose. I, I don't think I think you were not the only one. I think everyone thought that, but unfortunately, I don't think that was the case, was it? No, no, they lost. Yes, they did lose. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, the thing is that Copenhagen is very good when they play on their own ground. Yeah. And uh, um, I didn't see the whole match. I um, I started watching the match when they were already they were two 0 up. Yeah. But one man down. Yeah. And then I just saw the magic of Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, they tried to uh, equalize the, in the first half, mm-hmm. those two goals. Yeah. And then the second half was like, wow, yeah. amazing. And yeah. it's Rooney in the end. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the listeners uh, just uh, remember Rooney scored, but he scored for Copenhagen. There's a young player. His name yeah. is Rooney. Yeah. He's 17 years old and yeah. he played a very, uh, he, played ma- oh, he scored a very amazing goal. He came in for the second half, yeah. only played for 20 minutes and he's, Scored no, the final goal. It's no. just amazing, and I think these are the moments people are actually, you know, hoping, expecting from youngster as well. Yeah, and he comes in and he makes a difference as well. Definitely, yeah. And uh, suddenly now, uh, Manchester United is in the last spot of the Champions League table yeah. uh, by Munich leading yeah. with twelve points, and then we have Copenhagen, uh, Galatasaray, Istanbul, and uh, yeah, Manchester United. So it's looking very tough because Manchester United has two very difficult games ahead now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we see uh, Man City doing well as well. Manchester City. Yeah, Manchester. I mean, well. this is different now. You know, um, the least, uh, I don't know how many uh, many United supporters are now listening right now, but this is something <laughs> they're not going to like. They're not, yeah. Um, I've lived a long time there in Northwest as well for a mm-hmm. few years, and mm-hmm. uh, whenever I went to Manchester, Manchester. Is no sky blue. No, it's not red anymore. Is that red anymore? No red anymore. You see a lot of people wearing the kit uh, of Manchester City and uh, they're wearing some, themselves as well to Manchester City, especially the younger generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, the other generation is still Man United supporters, but that's the problem. That, um, you feel that you are basically in the Man City um, home. Yeah. Instead of Man United, yeah, and this has changed over the years as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, Arsenal are looking strong as well. Arsenal, yeah, yeah. Arsenal is. Um, I'm very surprised. You know, a few years ago, I would say every Arsenal supporter is going to depression. <laughs> yeah, with the performance <laughs> of the team. But nowadays, um, like these two years, they have changed the um, yeah. the qualities back as well. Yeah. It kind of remind me of the Alzheimer time. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, just the um, Premier League title is left. Uh, let's see if they can manage to win yeah. that. No, definitely. You you trust the process, and you're you're over there at the top, more or less. Um, I think that right now it's still Man City's strongest team, yeah. from my opinion, and mm-hmm. Liverpool is in the second spot. Wow, from my tr- yeah. my opinion. Yeah. But yes, in the top four, I see uh, Arsenal there as yeah. well, and Tottenham is looking strong as well. So yeah. these are the top four, from my opinion. Tottenham. So what about Chelsea? Chelsea is getting stronger. Yeah, they have started had a, a very um, um, tough start. They lost lost a lot a lot of points, but now mm-hmm. they're getting back into track. But but I knew this gonna happen because Pochettino is a very good player coach. Mm-hmm. But he had to get into that team. Like um, he had to u- get used to that team. The team has good to used to the, the tactics of Pochettino as well. But he's mm-hmm. a very good coach. If he has uh, the money and exact the players, then he can definitely win titles. Definitely, definitely. Um, just a quick last word from you. Um, favorites for Champions League, your favorite. Who do you think is going to win? So I'm thinking uh, right now is Real Madrid. Real Madrid, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, if you ask my favorite, um, to be honest, I don't have right now. Uh, Liverpool's not playing in the Champions League, so mm-hmm. yeah, why not Arsenal? Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Bayern Munich because of your... No, no, no. I don't like Bayern Munich. Really? No, no okay. I don't like that. Are you a Dortmund supporter? No, I'm an Eintracht Frankfurt supporter. Okay, okay. okay. So, um, I don't support any German team there. But if then, then should be Bayern Leverkusen. I want to win a oh. team who hasn't won the Champions League yet. So. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think that will end um, our news segment um if we quickly go towards the any any news in our community i think we had one uh, significant event yes we had call, um prayers for peace yes. event yes. where we invited people from different backgrounds and especially um people um faith leaders from different faiths from judaism and especially from judaism and christianity as well mm-hmm. and to speak out about the ceasefire in the Middle East and the importance of uh, peace in that place yeah. in the Middle East, and uh, you know one thing, it reminded me that when when I was sitting there, it reminded me that Islam has a huge huge history with living with living together with people from different faiths, yeah. and you know this place in the Middle East, Jerusalem, used to be uh, a spot where people from different beliefs would sit together. Yeah. And would eat from the same plate and etc. There wouldn't be any um, misunderstanding. Jews, Muslim, Christian, all of them would sit together and would live in peace and harmony. And hope, hopefully, hopefully, we can see that again in our time. Yeah, as well. I, I hope so too. I hope so too. No, it was a, it was a wonderful event. Um, as you said, we had uh, faith leaders from all backgrounds. Um, we had a rabbi, we had a priest, and we also had an imam um, cheering or uh, sitting at the main table. And it was wonderful to see the children to take part in this event as well. Um, children spanning from the age of 8 to 14 um, came on the stage and read extracts from um, the holy books. They read from the Torah, so the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Holy Quran. And uh, we had a lovely poem read out um, by, the, by, by the young generation as well. And that was wonderful to see as well. Um, and uh, the, I think it's worth mentioning here, the rabbi actually said that all these things actually won over him. So, um, won him over, sorry. Um, and yeah, it was just a wonderful event. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, he he's a rabbi who talked about, like he wrote a book about um, Muslim who saved Jew during the, the Holocaust. Hmm. So, you know, this says that, you know, the thing that um, Muslim are anti-Semitic, 
it's basically an answer that they are not. Yeah. And uh, as I said, they have lived always in peace. And uh, you know, if you live in Islamic country as a Jew, this Muslim world will never ask you to uh, leave out your culture. But they will even welcome you that you live you to according to your culture. I went to Marrakesh just this year in April, and I went to the uh, saw this uh, the Jew um, place as well, where Jewish people living, like Jewish Arab living there, mm-hmm. and there's no problem, no trouble, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's living in harmony, like brothers and sisters. Yeah. That yeah. is what I like. This is what I want to see, and hopefully yeah. Jerusalem becomes again yeah, an example for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll just finish off um, with the point that um, if you look back 1400 years ago, in the time of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we see the perfect citadel for all, like a melting mm. pot for all religions. We see Medina, mm. where Christian, sorry, um, Jews and pagans live together with Muslims in harmony. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful time, and hopefully we can, as you said, see that hopefully, time yeah. once again in the future. Um, I would like to turn the attention of our listeners towards our segments now. Um, as I said previously, we had two segments today. Very interesting. Uh, we have attending to the sick and treating the ailing. So we see that social care leaders have welcome news that previously pledge investments in the sector will go towards helping with recruitment and retention of staff. But said major reform is still needed to properly address remaining challenges. The government has said that the £600 million funding will support the social care workforce and bluster capacity, so boost capacity, therefore supporting the NHS ahead of winter and into the next year. We do have a guest lined up regarding this topic. Um, We will be joined by this guest shortly, I believe. Um, But until then, um, I think... It is. It is interesting. Well, it'll be. It'll be interesting to understand what social care is, or what we are. What we will be talking about today. So, um, uh, just j- just to mention, just to throw out, there are many people are actually surprised to hear to learn that social care is not free at the point of use the way that NHS is. After World War Two, social care and healthcare were placed in different brackets, and um, were funded separately. Um, I think we will come back to this. I think we've been joined by the guest. Um, uh, uh, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, Khalid Safir Sahib. Peace be upon you too. Good to hear from you. How are you this morning? I'm great, Shizaka. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you for Jaleed, asking. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> is this Khalid Safir, uh, whose video are uh, quite often on YouTube as well, where he is discussing certain matters with non-believers? If I'm not mistaken, is it you, Khalid? Yeah. So I, I, I do Islamic happiness classes for Westerners. So yeah, I know. I normally focus on people who are not Muslim, and explaining. Islamic principles that make people and society happier, uh, and I support it with you know science. Okay, and I will come to that point uh, to the happiness class. I would just want to know: um, you are based in Jordan or in here in the UK? I'm in Jordan, yeah, sunny Jordan. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> but what? I I used to live in the UK only a few okay, months okay. ago. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm very surprised. It's good to know that we have a caller from Jordan, you listeners, and we have a community over there as well, right? Yeah, the Ahmadi Jamaat community is, uh, you know, um, very, I'd say relatively new, mm. only that maybe, you know, uh, but very super friendly as all Arabs are, very close-knit, uh, loving community. 
Yeah. And Khalid, you said you're giving happiness classes. Um, I just want to know that, um, you know, in Islam, to be honest, you know, people believe Islam is a very, very hard and difficult religion. Uh, but yeah. uh, what I've learned is that happiness is being a part in Islamic religion as well. How can we understand that? Uh, so, so what you've learned is, so I, I heard the first bit, you said people think Islam yeah, so is a very harsh religion. Yes. So basically, you know, um, in the Quran, it is said that uh, a believer, he needs to find God, right? He needs to have a connection with God. Uh, but mostly yeah. people are also saying that um, still um, uh, it's the, the rules are very difficult sometimes to follow as well. But how can we say that? How can we understand that um, that Islam is basically teaching happiness as well? Yeah, so the goal of Islam is to... There's all these different stages that Islam wants you to develop through. So there's this Nafsa Amara, which is kind of, uh, I would describe the animal stage, and then Nafsa Mutmulimna, I always pronounce it wrong, right? Yeah, the different stage, and the final stage you want to get to is where you, in the Quran it says, you are pleased with God, and Allah is pleased, God is pleased with you, mm-hmm. right? So you want to, the whole, the whole point of Islam is to, get you happiness in this life and the next. So even the Quran talks about it in many different ways that um, if you fear God, you'll make good choices. There's a verse of the Quran that says if you fear the uh, judgment of uh, God, then you have, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, garden, two gardens, and the two gardens mm. are happy, you know, paradise in this life and the next. So everything in mm. Islam is geared toward making this life beautiful, and then your soul gets a taste of what is going to. You're basically developing your soul for the mm. next life. So if you have a terrible, miserable life, or you're unhappy with your uh, circumstances, mm. and people, prophets go through very difficult circumstances, mm. and they're the happiest. Yeah, exactly. It's not your physical circumstances necessarily, but it also makes you successful as well. Just like Prophet Muhammad is the most successful person ever to live, according to even non-Muslims. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Very well put. Thank you so much, Khadisab. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like to pose a question to you, obviously living in Jordan as well, and yeah. also uh, lived in the West. Um, you can kind of uh, uh, have a... Have a little comparison as well, and you can share the details. Um, yeah, um, I'd love to. Yeah, um, but uh, if I go towards my question, we see that how do you incorporate the concept of serving mankind into your teachings on happiness and well-being? Okay, so as, as I kind of mentioned a second ago, it's not really my teachings; it's Islamic teachings, yep. and it's supported by teachings of you know psychologists. So that's the first thing. So since I said Islamic teachings, like there's a, uh, there's some beautiful short things that Prophet Muhammad says that kind of explains everything, I think. Uh, one is that paradise is the home of the generous. So what does that mean? If you want to be, and by, by the way, like I just said a second ago, paradise means not just I'm in the next life, mm. in, the, this, in this life as well, mm-hmm. um, because the next life is a reflection of this life. Um, if you want paradise for yourself, a selfish goal, let's say, then you need to be generous to other people. And you might say, well, that's very nice, that's just a, you know, that's just faith. But that's actually what, like I said, famous psychologists, like, have you ever heard of Viktor Frankl? He's like, man's search for meaning. He's written, no, I'm sorry. He's, 
But anyway, he's one of the greatest psychologists on happiness. And basically he says happiness comes from meaning and meaning, you know, like meaning in your life. And meaning basically comes from doing good for other people. That's what meaning is, you know. Uh, you must have heard of Jordan Peterson. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So he said things like... Um, if you want to reduce your depression, all you have to, uh, it's been documented that if you say we more often than me, so you're thinking about community, um, rather, you know, serving mankind, like you say, rather than just yourself, then you have less depression. So it's built into us. Like, mm. these psychologists are not trying to be religious, although mm. they might have some religious, you know, background or something. They, they're telling you that it's built unto us to be happy by serving other people. And this is a big misunderstanding in the Western individualistic society where we think, you know, to all the adverts, actually, if I, if I get this and if I get the other thing, then I'll be happy. But people are misunderstood what I call like the human robot. Imagine a human being is just a robot and you press certain buttons and you mm. get happiness. People are pressing all the wrong buttons. They're pressing the me, me, me button where they should be pressing yeah. the we serving humanity button and mm. they'll find happiness. And you can see this in the West, you know, where, where the West is very individualistic and depression is going up. So obviously there's something wrong with that. So it's kind of a mind game that if you think about more people that we are to collect. Like, we know we're like a community, like we have a community. Like if you talk, we, we yes. like the community. It makes happy like, to know that we are not, I'm not alone. I have someone with me. And it's, yeah, it's actually true. Mm. It's actually very simple and very amazing as well. Um, yeah, it's true. We, we, we sometimes, we're not, we don't realize how lucky we are um, that we are surrounded, like in London, this is where I used to have a few months ago, we're surrounded by a community all the time. And they don't realize that their neighbors, who are, you know, your typical English Londoner, they're suffering from loneliness. Mm. And, we, and loneliness, is, did you, I don't know if you know, but loneliness is the biggest killer in London. And you mm -hmm. might say, how is loneliness the biggest killer? Because we don't like to be alone. We're designed to be, you know, with other people and feel more stressed by if we're, we feel we're all by ourselves and we have to solve all our problems you know what I mean yeah no, true but you know Khalid um, you know we have seen from the examples of prophets as well and from his companions that they have practiced uh, kindness towards human uh, kind as well um, are there any yes. positive impact If can you give you give some uh, examples of positive impact on happiness and happiness of those who, who they serve Yes, so there's so many funny, it's amazing that psychologists of all kinds, you know, are producing so many things that support religious ideas which are to serve people, right? Mm -hmm. So they did this funny experiment where they said, we're going to give you $5 to just in America, and, um, and you can either buy yourself a coffee or you can buy somebody else a coffee. And then they asked about, Uh, you know, how do you feel? And the people who buy other people coffee are more happier than the ones who buy themselves. Mm. So there's all these experiments, you know, they even said they went into professional situations and they said you can buy, here's some money, you can buy yourself something or you can buy something for your team. And those teams, I think they, it was like, uh, went like 20, made 20 times more money. So there's like so many benefits of, um, doing things or being kind. You can think of it as a very selfish thing to be kind to others, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. That was very well put. Thank you so much. Um, 
if yeah. I would like to, I, I would like to ask, how can pursuit of happiness be linked to broader goals of social and community service? Oh, okay. So you mentioned I was in Jordan, right? Mm. So this is something. I, one of the reasons I've, I've been coming here back and forth many uh, every other year or something. Cause my wife's from here, mm. um, and I, I I feel like I'm. It's like a school for me about how to be social and community service. Like it's. I don't know. Have you ever been to an Arab country? Experienced Arab hospitality? Yes, I've been in two countries. In, um, yeah. So. I've been like yeah, this, yeah. This whichever Arab. Okay, cool. So you might have seen just uh, the the beautiful hospitality there, and they're all competing to do. And I, I've been to Morocco mm. as well, right? So they're all competing to be nice to each other. And when you do that, you feel happy because we are social beings. Like even I don't know what you've seen, but even their houses are designed that there's seats all around the edges of the walls. So you're all. It's all about sitting and talking to each other rather than watching TV or something, you know? <laughs> and so um, back to your sort of question, really, is like, how can, when, when you say happiness, so I think some people think happiness is just like selfish, individualistic thing, okay? And you say, what's it got to do with community service? They are one in the same thing, is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. And that's why I see when I live here in Jordan, people are like, so eager to help each other out and then they're so much happier and if you look at the opposite which is you know individualistic west you see people are really depressed mm. so i think it's very clear they're very strongly linked service to humanity and being happy individually um, but Khaled, uh, you talk, uh, talking about, you're talking about the west you're talking about the londoners what advice do you have for these people who are looking to balance their own happiness and well-being with the desire to serve and support others especially yeah. like here in the so, yeah so uh, so you especially here in the west that's true yeah so um i think there's some very simple if 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 you find it hard to start off the there's a brilliant hadith hadith that i love right hmm. which is take up good deeds only as much as you're able for the best deeds are the those done regularly in few you might say what's got what small regular deeds got to do with anything because everything starts from small steps you know, all successful people in any realm, they do things consistently in small things, right? So if you're scared of, you know, you're worried, because often, you know, if, you're, if you come from an individualistic background, you're probably worried, oh, how can I help this person and this person? It's too overwhelming. I'm not going to help anybody. Just do things small in small steps, and you'll realize and you'll enjoy helping people a little bit and you start doing more and more you build up to it i don't know if that makes any sense but it's like you know you don't start off you know I, i'm not i don't know i would say cool i don't have any muscles right mm-hmm. but i can understand the the idea like if i i don't lift big weights in the beginning i start off with small weights and do it consistently mm-hmm. and so build up to bigger weights mm-hmm. it's the same with good deeds as well just do it consistently and you enjoy that and you when you enjoy it you'll be more motivated to do more of helping people. Mm. No, that, yep. Actually, very true. Like, you know, you're talking about constantly, to be constant, something like to do regularly, right? This is what uh, yeah. Islam says as well, that if you start something, do it regularly, even if, it, if it's less. Yep. But the regularity should be there. And then you will, like you said, yep. you will like it so much that you try to increase it as well. Mm-hmm. 
That's actually a very good yes, point. Yes, if you do a start and stop once in a blue moon, it won't work. You know, you mm. won't, it's like doing, like I said, building muscles, which I don't have either, so I can still understand, right? If I lift weights one day and then lift weights the next year, there's no point, you know? <laughs> uh, our spirituality is the same thing. It really works the same way. Oh, spir- no, when no. I say spirituality, I don't mean, uh, even if there's a, like when I, I normally talk to Western audience, I might not even say spirituality, it's just your happiness, your spirit, mm. you know? Uh, it works in the same way, you have to exercise it regularly. It's amazing. Um, Khaled, you have a YouTube uh, channel as well. What is the name of your channel again? So my YouTube channel is my name, Khaled Safir, K-H-A-L-I-D-S-A-F-I-R, but people might find that hard to remember. So just uh, I have a website, bigquestionsanswered.com, okay. where I've got a free, full happiness course from all the basics. You know, how to work on your personal self, to mm-hmm. social things, to bigger issues like the environment. I even talk about Palestine, you know, everything mm, that recently. there is to talk about that, you know, affects humanity, affects your happiness. So I talk about everything. But you know, but bigquestionsanswered.com. Uh, I actually found your website by a mistake. Like on YouTube, I was just, I was trying to watch some highlights about football and then suddenly <laughs> I saw a person on YouTube who's like, Not always nice to us, MDs. And you were there as well on a, on a screen on a, on a stream. And I thought in the beginning you might be his friend, so, so you might be a non-MD as well. And I just wanted to, to know what you guys are going to discuss. And suddenly it turned out you are a Muslim, as, like an MD as well. And uh, you gave like <laughs> the way you basically discussed this thing was amazing because your personality, your performance was nice. You were smiling all the time. You were like you weren't Thank like you. Uh, like oh I'm so upset etc. No, you were very cool, and this is what I liked, and this is, <laughs> this is why I this is this is the first po- thing I found out by, about you. That's why I thought you are maybe an uh, enemy of Ahmadiyya as well because you know they they, they like this. Where did you see my videos? The speaker's corner because I was there very popular there for a while, uh, or is it on live streams that I do now? Uh, it's the, the live stream you had with um, uh, okay. w- one of the uh, person who lives in America as well, as well, and you have these quite often where you discuss like certain things about uh, you. You were discussing about the death of uh, the Prophet uh, Jesus Alaihissalam, etc. I see. So, but yeah. but I said the performance, you know, the performance was different. Like I, like you were smiling, yeah, you were thank very you. cute, and this is this is what I. Catched up, and I think this is why I think the listeners should watch this as well and should see how very, like, very cool. Like, there's no ten. You, you just giving the picture of someone who's just relaxed and you just. You even said that that we we are just for fun. In the, I remember on the TV. Yeah, said, yeah. Sir. While you're discussing <laughs> very like important matter, you said oh, we're here just for fun, and. Uh, And this is what yeah, I mean. no, what it is, I think it's, uh, uh, alhamdulillah, thanks, thanks, all thanks is to Allah, that because of my background of being an Ahmadi Muslim, where we're taught love for all and hatred mm. for none, there's no need for me to win necessarily, force anybody to agree with me. I'm doing everything out of love, first of all. And because of this way, a lot of people who are anti-Islam. I talk to people who are anti-Islam. They say, we're anti-Islam except for with Ahmadis because the way you talk is completely different to the other Muslims who are very aggressive. No, true. No, true. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, as I said, for me it was like uh, an example as well to follow as well. And yeah, I'm going to watch you um, uh, um, uh, speaker, well, how do you call it? Speaker Corner. Uh, speaker's Corner, yeah. Um, videos as well. Yeah. 
I know you've been there and uh, yeah, inshallah. It's something we should catch up as well. Like we should practice as well to smile even if the enemy is like very aggressive. That's right. This is the way Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him was. They they said nobody smiled as much as Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Exactly. Thank you so much, uh, Khalid Safir. Um, really appreciate your You're time welcome. that you've given to us. Thank you so much. What time is it in Jordan right now? We are three hours ahead of you, so um, not as sleepy as you might be, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, again, I really appreciate this. Um, I believe you're also a math teacher at one point. Math teacher? Yeah, I'm a math teacher, online math teacher, online computer science teacher, yeah. and I create crazy things. I'm like a modern day math scientist as well. So <laughs> I do a couple of other you, things. Yeah. You you had a I believe as a very long time ago you had a DVD a CD that you used to um, give oh to students. Oh my gosh! Are you one of my students or something? Um, it's, it's quite possible. accidental students. You you, you might say. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I no. did. I've done a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah, in the days when CDs were still relevant yeah. before YouTube became oh a big thing. That's this, how old I am. This is like thirty years old. Like <laughs> you must be pretty old as well. Stone age. I, I am. I'm pretty, <laughs> you're lucky. I didn't say floppy disk. I think I think that's a bit older. Yeah, that would be that would be <laughs> scary. I'd be like, who am I talking to, my dad? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I really again, um, once again, I really appreciate your time. Hopefully, we can have you again in the future, uh, maybe discussing a different topic. And uh, yeah, um, very good morning to you. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Yeah, it's good fun talking to you. Peace be upon you too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Truly amazing personality. Um, yeah. I didn't know he's a master, and I didn't know that uh, he would give up. He would like he would um, distribute CDs and uh, yeah. Even you said that word. I said, "Well, oh, okay, CDs <laughs> used to be something." I remember. <laughs> it doesn't was Stone this, <laughs> this was a very long time ago. He had a book and he had a CD that went along with it, and uh, you would play the CD and you would have the um, the the physical book in mm. front of you. It was very well put, yeah. and uh, it was just. Um, Khalid Safi Saab just um, going through the, the the book with you. You know what? One thing is that whatever he said, you can see that he has a lot of knowledge about Islam as yeah. well. Because, for example, yeah. when he said, like, mm, when we think about more people, we, when we talk about in this sense, and mm-hmm. it makes us more happier. This mm-hmm. is what, when, uh, when he included the community as well, that we have a community, mm-hmm. right? And we are happy that we ha- we're not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. I have mm-hmm. someone who can who's helping me, carrying me, uh, trying to help me as well. And you see that you could see that he has studied Islam as well, and mm-hmm. because he's a t- happiness teacher, it shows mm-hmm. that Islam is all about happiness as well. In yeah. the end, no, definitely. And he gave a very good example of the only perfect people upon him. Mm-hmm. In the end, dear listeners, I want to share that mm-hmm. he said that he was the most smiling personality. Yeah. yeah. In his time, and he, he just Jalees, just look at what the only person went through. He lost. We mentioned that he lost his parents when he was very young. Yeah. Uh, he he lost also uh, his grandfather when he was very young. Mm. Um, his companions, he, he saw how his companions were martyred in front mm. of his eyes. Yeah. And uh, he had to leave his birthplace as well. But yeah. still, he, has, he, he, he lost all his children mm-hmm. through his lifetime except yeah. one. Yeah. And still he was the most money personality. So yeah. you see that this can change, have a change. And I think, I believe... If you see a smiling person, you just don't smile by yourself as well. As I said, like when I watched his videos about Khaled, from Khaled Sophia, the way, the way he was sitting, they're very cool, very smiling as well. Yeah. I believe that you know, if you have someone who's sitting right next to you, and you have a debate with someone else, and you know that person who's with you is smiling, that it gives you some kind of relief as well, and yeah. you are basically relaxed as well, discuss that and yeah. all the very, um, very high tension topics as well. So, 
it's actually um, you see that even though he started from different different, but he was talking from the Islamic angle. No, definitely, definitely, everything he said today was from the Islamic perspective, and also just regarding the smiling, smiling bit, um, we 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 see that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah mm. be upon him actually put a reward on smiling, where he says yeah. that smiling is actually charity. So when you smile at someone, you're you're giving them charity. So by the grace of Allah, we have every single thing that we do as an action has some sort of psychological even spiritual aspect to it so that, that, that that's the best thing i like jalis <laughs> the islam is so simple for a small yeah. thing yeah. you can so many you can get so many yeah. big rewards so yeah. just for smiling yeah. you basically charity and for charity you have rewards as well so mm-hmm. this is what i like about islam yeah. islam is so very simple absolutely absolutely just uh, just to uh, go back on something that safir sub said um that something that respected khalid safir said which was regarding um depression um again just to clarify we don't know what um others are going through we might have a neighbor who does not know um so that that, that we might not know uh, what they're going through um whether it be depression uh, depression or loneliness that we, we should we should um go out as islam teaches we should we should definitely see if they're okay we should check on their well-being and this is again one of the teachings of islam I do believe we have another guest uh, incoming. We have um, Imam Gashif Wirksop from Sweden. Um, hopefully we can hear from him after the break. We'll have a short interlude right now and we will continue this very, very interesting topic. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Welcome back, listeners. You are joining myself, Jalees Khan, and Imam Sahil Munir at the Voice of Islam Radio. If you would like to get in contact uh, regarding any of the topics mentioned, um, please contact us on 020-867-7878. Or, um, alternatively, you can also tweet us uh, on X, and our X handle is at Voice of Islam UK. We were discussing about ailments and the sick and just attending to them. Um, we will be shortly joined by another guest. We had uh, respected Khalid Safir Saab joining us. Um, very, very interesting uh, take on um, happiness. Um, as he is a happiness teacher, we will be joined by, uh, shortly, we will be joined by uh, Imam Missionary Gashif Wirks. Um, and until then, until then, we will discuss further uh, on the topic at hand. We were talking about social care and looking after others, but I think it will be very interesting to to note um, where this all started. Um, this is more of a history lesson for some. Um, we see that William Beveridge wrote an article, wrote a report um, regarding the five giants. So these are the five giant evils. Um, of uh, the society at that time, which was, I think, 1932. And this is where he addressed that idleness, ignorance, disease, squalor and want were the five diseases, five evils of society. And this is something that the government, that the government should tackle. Social care has been in the news recently. But what exactly do we mean when we talk about social care? So this, this is exactly what William Beveridge addressed. Part of the reason... It's so hard to define what social care is, is because it covers a huge range of activities from child protection to end of life care. Today, we're able to talk about adult social care, providing help, care and protection from harm from uh, for adults with physical disabilities 
learning disabilities or physical and mental illness. At its most basic, this can include help with washing, dressing, getting out of bed in the morning, help taking medicine and helping with the housework. Social care is becoming more and more important. As our population gets older, the number of our 85s in England has gone up by over a third in the past 10 years and will then double in the next 20. Local government has the main responsibility when it comes to publicly funded social care. So what do what do councils do? What do they actually do? They provide information and advice. They assess and monitor your needs and finances. They provide short-term support called uh, rehabilitation. They safeguard vulnerable adults from abuse and neglect. And they buy and monitor care from a large range of organisations. With more people living into older age, this means there will be more frail, frail people and more people living with long-term illnesses. In turn, this means that there will be more people, yes, more people with needs for care and support. The number of people receiving formal care from the state has actually reduced over the past six years despite this increase in need. Our research shows that the social care system as it stands is struggling to meet the needs of older and disabled people. This is more or less the gist of what we will be discussing today. We see that social care leaders have welcomed news that previously pledged investment in the sector will go towards helping with recruitment and retention of staff, but said major reform is still needed to properly address remaining challenges. And the government has said that £600 million funding will support the social care workforce and boost capacity, therefore supporting the NHS ahead of winter and into next year. So just to just go 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 through that, we see that obviously the aging population, we see people are living for longer, and that means that there is more people needed, um, more people need attention, and thus more people need, uh, we, well, the the social the social care system needs more people to attend to these people. It will be really interesting to see what um, the Islamic perspective is. Um, I hope. Um, we can touch upon that with you, you know um, Jalees um, you know, if we talk about the Islamic perspective um, God has said that in the Holy Quran that, um, he, he will test us right? he will tell us that he, uh, he will put you into difficulties and he will just want to see um, how steadfast you basically are mm-hmm. and uh, um, this is uh, but while he, he he tells us that uh, I will put you in, into that and that and that and that as well, um, remember that he uh, he is also telling us that he's sufficient for us. Mm-hmm. Right? For example, uh, dear listeners, in chapter nine, verse one hundred and twenty-nine, he says, "If they but if they turn away, say Allah is sufficient for me. There is no God but ye, in Him do I put my trust, and He is the Lord of my of the mighty throne." So God has said. First, God says, um, "I will put you. Uh, I will. Uh, pu- uh, I will try you with something of fear and hunger, and loss of wealth and lives and foods." But then He said, "But give glad tidings to the patient." Okay, and God says that many times in the that I am with those who are patient. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have God, you know, if we have God, because God is a provider, right? As that, as well that God is sufficient for us. If we have God as someone who stands with us, then of course everything we need, we are we're going to ask for, we need, it will be provided by God, mm-hmm. the Almighty. Mm-hmm. 
and um, all these difficulties we are go th- going through is kind of a test Allah is putting us into knowing that if we are if we pass these exams Allah will give us more even and he will give us from those resources which we would never thought of that he will mm-hmm. provide them from that mm-hmm. point so Allah has just made it very simple that um if you need something i'm sufficient for you right mm-hmm. uh, i'm there to provide so islam's islam has always talked about that that always firstly th- told us that the first point the first person you should ask for help is allah uh yeah because he is there to provide uh, and uh, then he also said th- that look at the example of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him yeah. and uh, you know what is so amazing on the Holy Prophet peace be upon him is that he, he basically let's say this in this verse that he was the king of Arabia in the end mm-hmm. but he never lived as a king mm-hmm. how did he live? he lived a very simple life mm. he was very humble yeah. you know people would give him so many things and he would never keep them with himself mm. he would provide them he would give it away to other people who are basically who would be in need right? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, he he said even once that uh, when he had uh, you know he was w- traveling walking with his uh, um, uh, companions and then he saw the mound of Ohud, mm-hmm. which is uh, based in, uh, in Arabia, mm-hmm. and he said, "Man, ah, if if I would have money in gold in the size of that mound, mm-hmm. I would have spent, uh, I would have given everything yeah. away to the people." Yeah. I, he said, "I wouldn't even I wouldn't even sleep until I've given away everything to the yeah. people." So from the time, like uh, from the Holy Prophet aspect, we see that um, if we want if we want to have a healthy life as well, then look at the society as well. Provide your society with those means as well. Just don't keep them for yourself. You know, this is why I love this um, <coughs> system of zakat. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, to give uh, to uh, you, you belonging yeah. to those people in need as well mm-hmm. and desire as well uh, which you haven't used for a year mm-hmm. yeah just 2.5% of that just mm-hmm. give it to the needy people mm-hmm. and you know um Jalees, imagine everyone would follow that system of zakat mm-hmm. every rich person of the world would follow this system of zakat so for giving for basically um just take out 2.5% of that belonging which they haven't used for a year mm-hmm. Do you think poverty will be there still? Yeah. There won't be poverty. The poverty yeah. will be gone. Absolutely right, yeah. So this is how Allah Ta'ala basically provides. And Allah Ta'ala has given the answer for that. Islam yeah. has given the answer for that, basically. Yeah. And this is the best answer I can give, or the best example I can give. The Holy Prophet his companions, basically, they they paid the God. They have given the best example. And they built the society of Medina at that time as well. And um, as I said, you know, there's a huge gap now between rich and old. And it's because of interest. Yeah. And what says what does say what does Islam says about uh, interest? Very simple. That whoever goes for interest is basically declaring war against Allah. Yeah. And you can't win against Allah. It's imp- impossible. <laughs> mm. But for the opposite, Allah Taala has introduced the system of um, the God. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, if people start knowing what the God is. You know, all these politicians, all these world leaders, they would go for zakat because I know they have death as well. Mm-hmm. And all those poor people, they would cry for zakat as well because they know the 
they the gap between rich and poor will uh, become closer as well and there won't be poor people because they have everything they need and there will be someone who will provide as well you know this is how you build society this is how you build you put harmony and love in human mind uh, for other people as well mm. so this is what islam has taught about you know there are many many examples of the leap of people upon him um i can give um where he basically even you know even even about treatment right even about treatment he he he, he said that he um there's one you know uh, g- very famous uh, um uh saying of the prophet people upon him mm. uh, he said that um basically uh, he this is um, um said that on the, the, in this saying is said that in the day of judgment god almighty will say i was hungry and you did not feed me mm-hmm. I was thirsty and you did not give me water and I was sick and you did not re- inquire about me. Now about up, upon this uh upon this those being addressed will ask oh lord when was it that you were hungry and we did not feed you mm-hmm. when was it you were thirsty and we did not quench your thirst mm-hmm. and when was it that you were sick and we did not inquire about you in reply god will uh, god almighty say a person dear to me was in need of those things but you did not show any compassion to him treating him kindly would have been similar to showing kindness to me likewise you know to another group of people allow the almighty will say you have done well as you showed kindness towards me when i was hungry you gave me food and when i was thirsty you gave, quenched my thirst mm-hmm. those people will ask all oh, our lord when did we serve you in this way because you know god is almighty how this yeah. is impossible you know yeah. this basic metaphorically god is just talking metaphorically way explaining that we do not know uh, we do uh, we do not know six ourselves in response allah will say when you showed compassion to a person dear to me you were actually manifesting kindness to me so this is basically allah taala as explained as that every creation he has created is very dear to allah yeah and he loves that and you know even to animals allah taala said that you should kind should show kindness to us animal as well as this very famous accident uh, incident of uh, of a person who was very thirsty and he he saw water um and uh, the water was only enough for him but like uh, meanwhile he also saw a dog who was licking the earth yeah. because of uh, because he was very thirsty mm-hmm. so what he did is that he took out his uh, sock put the water into the sock and give it to the dog yeah and only because of that god was so pleased with him that he said the paradise is now for yeah. him. the reward will be paradise for him definitely so definitely. if you talk about islamic uh, perspective islam is all about kindness yeah and islam is all about there to help and support people mm-hmm. and i said uh, islam introduced the system of zakat um you know to to give to those in need yes just from your own belongings so you sharing with other people as well yeah that belonging you you haven't used for a year mm-hmm. 2.5% at least from mm-hmm. that definitely and as i said if every person start uh, fo- uh, following that command every rich person of the world yeah start com- following this command there won't be any poor people as well yeah no, that's just very well put thank you so much um, this is the the community aspect of islam that we all work together for the betterment for every for every individual This is very interesting what you put uh, what 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 you said uh Imam Imam Sahil you see that prophets of God Almighty not only provide spiritual guidance but also help the sick and ailing by attending to them personally and comforting them with divine mercy If we look at the example of orphans we see the promised Messiah on whom be peace he um an orphan child 
used to live in the house of the parental cousin of the Prophet Messiah. Um, his name was Mirza Nazamuddin. And after facing some hardships there, he came to the Prophet Messiah on whom be peace. And due to a lack of proper guardianship and edification in his childhood, he was very uncivilized and ill-mannered. One he got burnt, owning to his mischievous nature, and boiling water fell all over his entire body. Prophet Ahmad was deeply shocked by this, and he got busy treating him. Every day, fresh cotton dressing was applied to his body, and great care was taken. In the treatment of this orphan child, the Prophet Messiah on whom be peace did not care about this about his time, nor did he care about the expenses. He did not tolerate any kind of negligence in his treatment or deficiency in his food. Prophet Ahmad on whom be peace would get everything arranged for that child in front of himself and also comfort him. And this is exactly what we are discussing, is just putting others' needs above ours. And that's exactly what Islam teaches. And this is how we can address this topic of sickness and ailment, that we that we put others' interests, we show, we show compassion and empathy. And this is exactly what Islam teaches. And this is exactly what the prophets have shown and illustrated and portrayed. And this is exactly what is in portrayal right now with Prophet Ahmad, salam, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. We will take a short interlude and then when we come back, we will go to the next topic, which is regarding the perfect or the great design um, regarding honeycombs. Thank you so much. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back uh, to the Voice of Islam radio. Again, you are joined by the very eloquent Sahil Munish Saab, the Imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and myself, Jalees Khan. We will be going towards the next segment of our show this morning, which is regarding honeycombs. We will be joined by 
experts, or we'll be joined by an expert of this field, um, hopefully uh, very soon, uh, Mr. Ian Campbell of the BBKA of the British Bees Keepers um, Association. And uh, we'll be very interested in listening to what he says regarding bees and honeycombs. Um, just to display and uh, just to put put forward to all our listeners, um, honeycombs are one of the most fascinating structures found in nature. These hexagonal um, structures are created by bees and serve as the foundation of the hive. The intricate design of honeycombs has been the subject of study for centuries and continue to fascinate scientists and engineers alike. This interesting shape of an hexagon um, of the honeycomb is incredibly efficient. And we will touch upon how the structure is so efficient after um, we have spoken to our guest. Yes. Um, is, is, is it Mr. Ian Campbell? Ian Campbell is right now. That's, that, that, that's really good. Um, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, Ian Campbell. Can you hear me? Hello, good morning. Yes, I can. How are you doing this fine morning? I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, um, so uh, you are part of the British Beekeepers Association, am I correct in saying that's, that? That's right. The British Beekeepers Association represents about 30,000 hobby beekeepers across uh, England and parts of Wales. Okay, no, that's that, that's grand. Um, that's that's absolutely grand. Um, just out of curiosity, how did you get into beekeeping? What what kind of piqued your interest regarding this field? Um, I've always had for about twenty plus years an allotment locally to me, and we were looking um, to do something extra with it, and somehow beekeeping came into. Um, the thought was an idea and we looked into it a bit further with my wife and uh, and I got started in it about uh, 15 years ago now. Oh, that's, 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 that's amazing. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, obviously we see the beehives and they're majestic, majestic pieces of art. Um, so how do honeybees actually create this precise hexagonal shape of honeycomb cells? So bees use wax as as the raw material, and they create the wax on their on their abdomens, on their bellies, um, and they need a lot of energy to do that. So it takes a lot of the honey and the nectar that's coming into the hive for them to be able to produce the wax. And each bee only produces a very small amount of wax. Hmm. Um, um, they they kind of create it on their bellies and then they pass it up to their mouth parts, and then they start to create the the, set, the hexagon cells that we see. Ian, um, just recently, um, I had a like, um, honeycomb in my house as well, mm-hmm. in the loft as well, and um, obviously I, I called uh, the expert. They removed it as well. Um, they um, What I've found out is that nowadays people just don't understand the importance of bees. Uh, we we know that the, the numbers of bees has gone down as well. Um, why is why are bees very important for us? The most important part about bees is the role that they play in pollination. And uh, without pollination, many of the of the foods that we eat just mm. simply won't produce fruits, nuts, 
Mm-hmm. And, and other kind of varieties. So, so that pollination of, of plants is is the critical thing that bees do. It's not just honeybees; it's a vast range of bees, and there are other pollinators as well, who who perform that vital function for us. Um, and that's one of their key key things. And um, coming back to the honeycomb, like, uh, are, what are the structural advantages advantages sorry of the hexagonal shape in honeycomb design? There's been a lot of sort of uh, research and speculation over this over, as you were saying earlier, a very long period of time. Um, the evidence now is suggesting that bees initially, when they when they create the cells, they're they're working in the dark and they're they're using their their mouth parts around their bodies. And initially, it's probably most likely that they actually create a circle. Mm-hmm. But then the heat within the hive distorts that circle into a hexagon. Um, and that's a very, very efficient shape. I mean, because wax is, to the bees, uh, it's a high-energy kind of material to produce. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of their resources and time to do it. They need to use it very frugally, and they need to use as little of it as they can, but to make a structure that's very efficient, very strong, and is fit for purpose for what they use it for, which is as a storage thing, mm-hmm. but also to raise their young in. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, what role does the size and orientation of honeycomb cells play in honey production? Okie dokie. So they're largely based horizontally in the frames that we largely use in, in, in kind of, uh, sort of uh, the hives that are most common. The hives go in and the, and the cells sit mostly horizontally, but they sit at a slight angle of about 13 degrees, basically. So when they start storing nectar in it, it doesn't flow out. Um, so they're at a slight tilt. The size of them is for, there's two sizes essentially. Um, the workers, when they're going to raise a young, um, if it's going to be a female worker, the cell size is a little bit over five millimeters. Mm. If they're going to raise one of the boys, one of the drones, of which there aren't many, there's only a few hundred boys in, in, in a honeybee hive, um, those cells are slightly larger because the, the physical size of the, of, the, of the larvae is bigger, and those are about six millimeters. So it's, it's very precise kind of measurements that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian, um, I think you will be surprised to know that, um, but I think it will be very, also very interesting for you to know that, that in the Holy Quran, there's a chapter called Al-Nahl. And mm-hmm. Nahl means in Arabic bee. So the chapter is right. called the bee. And in this chapter, God is talking about um, the bees, how they work in colonies, and how they basically follow the queen as well and help um like there's a st- structure given how they basically work together in the community as well um i just want to know that when did we find out that bees are basically working in the colony or like in the structure i mean people have been looking and examining and trying to understand the behavior and the the hierarchy within beehives for a very very long period mm-hmm. of time in fact, the queen is, is in some ways not, it's a strange title because she makes very few decisions on, on mm. for the colony itself. It's really a very, very democratic process. <laughs> the bees will work on all sorts of little food, feedback le- loops to, to kind of understand what the hive needs to make its survival best. 
and that can include what food they need, what, whether they need water, whether they need other resources into the hive. They will also look at the weather and the amount of food available, and they will feed the queen or not feed the queen so that they raise an amount of, of young that is sustainable at any one time. So if, if, there's, if there's poor weather, lack of food, they will reduce feeding the queen, she will, she will produce less eggs, and then the, 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 kind of, uh, the hive will just slow down until there's more resources. And that's how they survive over winter, with the queen laying very little. In terms of, of kind of, uh, I mean, to the extent that the colony will decide um, if a queen has become too old or isn't fit for purpose anymore, she's been injured, the hive will then look to swarm and will look to replace its queen. So the, the, the pressure is often coming from below rather than, than from a queen mm. sort of telling the hive what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, but because it's um, always said that they will try to protect her as well, uh, at any cost as well. Like if they are, if she is in danger, they will try to um, surround her and usually like fiercely protect her. This is what I've heard mostly. Um, by, uh, it certainly can be. I mean, hives will defend themselves. Uh, bees have a sting that's a bit a little bit like a a fishing hook. It's barbed. Mm-hmm. So bees will tend to sting only defensively because a bee won't survive um, having stung a human. Mm-hmm. It will die a few days later. So they, they don't do it. But if you, as beekeepers, we learn to go into hives very gently. We use a little bit of smoke to distract them and, and mm-hmm. kind of, um, and that has other, other effects as well. Mm-hmm. But we learn to work very slowly and very respectfully mm-hmm. um, when we're, when we're in their home, essentially. Um, But yes, they will kind of, uh, hives do have guard bees, which are a certain age of bee. A lot of the work the bees do is, is, is the work that they do is, is um, subdivided by their age. So the younger bees tend to stay in the, in the hive and look after the queen and feed the young. It's the older bees in the, in the last three weeks of their life that go out and forage. And it's bees the, between these two ages at about three weeks old who are guard bees and who, who kind of look after the defense of the hive. Hmm. No, that's, that's very interesting. Thank you so much for that. Um, we see that there's many types of honey. I think we, uh, I, I like to touch, touch upon honey. Um, we see we have Manuka honey. I think it's pronounced, um, uh, we have lotus honey, citrus. What what benefits do we see from each type of like floral kind of, um, um, or, 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 depending on the flower, what kind, what kind of benefits do we see from each of these separate types of honey? Honey is, is hugely diverse. And as you say, it's all to do with the floral source that it's come from. So in any one area, in, in areas um, where there's one obvious crop, one obvious one in this, in this country is a crop called oilseed rape, the big yellow fields that you mm. see. There you can be fairly, fairly sure that the honey, because there's, there's these huge, enormous fields, um, and they bring back a very distinctive honey that's very pale and granulates very quickly. Mm. Manuka honey is, is mostly from New Zealand, mm. um, and that has certain properties. Um, which they sort of put on the label, this sort of MGO label that they put on, where they've done scientific tests. And basically there's, there's elements of hydrogen peroxide in there. Mm. And because it comes from different floral sources, it has good medical uses mm. because it's, it's very antimicrobial and it can be... And because it varies, 
um, when it's used against bacteria, uh, it, 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 there's no one thing that bacteria can get resistant to. Every sort of bit, bit of manuka will be different, so the, the bacteria never get resistant. So it can have very powerful properties. Mm-hmm. In other senses, honey, I mean, it's a very, it's very sugar-saturated solution, mm-hmm. and it's very tasty. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. What's the best type of honey that you've had? What's the best tasting honey that you've had? That's a tricky question. I mean, there is there is such a big variety. I mean, there are, what beekeepers tend to do later in the in the year, around this time, sort of October time, is when they've had a good year, um, they'll jar up their honey, and some beekeepers like to celebrate that by entering honey shows. And there's a big national one down near London, was a few weeks ago. And you see this huge diversity of honeys from very pale to almost black. Um, some people like their honey in the comb. Some people like it sort of extracted. Some people like the granulated honey. Some people mm. like the runny honey. Uh, I've tasted quite a lot, mm. and I don't have hugely good sort of sense of taste. I'm not kind of like a wine sommelier or something like that. But some yeah. people, some people, I used to have a lady who used to buy from me and she would almost give me tasting notes for kind of each, each jar. She would, oh, that was really lovely because I tasted that. And, that. and that's, that's fantastic to hear. And, yeah. but the variety is a lovely thing. Um, yeah, uh, there's a hospital in Russia where the treatment is done only by honeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know how healthy is honey basically for us? I mean, honey's a sugar, so like anything, a balanced diet is important. Mm. A lot of people will argue a lot of, uh, I mean, in countries like um, Slovenia, um, they uh, people find that um, they have special cabins where people go and lie. I mean, they're protected from the bees, but they go and lie above the where the bees and uh, hives are. Um, in what looks like a shed, essentially, and they believe that the the air from the bees is very healthy. I mean, some people will argue that the sugars, um, because it's quite complex in honey, is mm-hmm. possibly better than just sort of uh, uh, sort of other sugars. Um, I don't think there's any overwhelming evidence that that honey is is fantastic for you. Although there are suggestions that, I mean, in the UK. They've compared um, cough medicines and a little bit of honey and lemon. And even the NICE guidance, the NHS guidance on that thing says, actually probably a bit of honey, water and lemon hmm. is as good, if not better, than, than yeah. going buying yourself cough medicines and things like that. Mm-hmm. The only one thing I should add to that is that um, honey should never be fed to infants under under a year old. There is a very, very tiny risk that it can make the meal, but it's always suggested not for infants. That's interesting. That's that's, that's that's amazing. I'd like to touch upon this medicinal side that you just mentioned right now, um, because in the Holy Quran, it mentions that honey is actually a cure for mankind. So what what evidence do we see that, well, different types of honey might be able to cure different ailments? A lot of the really concrete evidence comes from the uses of manuka honey in mm. New Zealand because they've done a lot of science to kind of, and it comes at a premium price and it does have certain properties that do make it. Um, I've talked to scientists who've done some of this research and they've been, uh, they and some of them are medical pr- practitioners themselves. With manuka, um, especially kind of on wounds and on on skin problems, 
it can be highly effective. Mm -hmm. Now, they have to obviously be very careful because they have to do very controlled trials and that that can take a, a lot of work. But the, the its ability to heal wounds is is quite high. Now, if you, once you've digested honey, the enzymes and 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 the chemicals in your body tend to break the honey down. So there's less clear evidence of of kind of its it sort of medical strength there. Hmm. But as you know, sometimes the belief in something that is helping you, that is natural, that is good for you, hmm. that that will actually make you feel better. So that placebo effect can be as strong sometimes as the medical effects. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, really enjoyed having you here this morning, Mr. Ian Campbell. Um, Again, have a have an amazing day, and thank you so much for imparting so much knowledge um, with us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That was Mr. Ian Campbell of the British Beekeepers Association. Um, when is the last time you had honey? It's a very interesting question. Yeah. Um, maybe two nights ago, I had it with the hot milk, hot milk and oh, honey. Really? Yeah. Mm. It was actually German honey. Oh, really? uh, yeah, it was a gift by someone. I can't. I don't. I don't know the. the I can't pronounce the German word. Honish. I don't know. I, it's I, called Honish. Like honey called Honish, but uh, maybe the, the brand was different. Maybe, maybe. I'll send you a picture later. All right, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, no, Um. actually, when I do when I do buy honey, I try to buy it from, like, I try to buy the organic honey. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, because this is what I think is the original uh, honey. And because, you know, as you mentioned, also in the Holy Quran, it's mentioned it's a cure for so many ailments. And yeah. So honey and bees are mentioned in the Quran, and the the, the the significant about this is that um, it teaches us something, yeah. right? And and um, uh, you know, um, uh, because uh, dear listeners, we have Ibrahim Non Sabizas right yeah. now, who's the Imam of the Ahmadi Muslim community in Ireland, uh, who basically graduated from both Christian and Islamic theology and philosophy, and uh, he. he is basically right now with us uh, and also assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may the peace and blessings of allah be with you imam ibrahim imam ibrahim Nunan. Wa, wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi imam um ibrahim uh, i just want to know you know in uh in the holy quran surah nahl um god speaks about uh, different topics but that topic is dedicated to bees because it is called bees. And then God talks about bees, how they work in a colony or like in a community. And then they follow the uh, the queen as well, etc. And then Allah says that this is like an example for us. How can we understand that? Well, you know, um, interestingly enough, um, I, I had the privilege of actually once uh, watching and observing uh, this unique bee dance mm-hmm. where um, the multiple bees would take the queen bee into its new um, house. Mm-hmm. And that actually reminded me of that time of the, the Suhar Nahar you were talking about. And how how remarkable it was to observe and see the obedience mm-hmm. and submission of those bees to the queen bee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the significance from the point of view of uh, Muslims having to submit to the will of Almighty Allah and the Mundus and the Tawheed of God Almighty mm. in following Him. Mm. This this is the unique thing about this. Uh, this is the reason why Allah has given this example and this demonstration 
regarding the, the, the honeybee, the queen bee. Um, just in nature itself is at one with the nature of God Almighty himself. Everything is in oneness with him. Mm-hmm. Everything is unique, which he has created. This this is, for me, the, the significance of this. And in the Holy Quran, God says that um, for, like... For humankind, human humanity, he has some uh, some someone sent like for a leader for guidance as well, F- and uh, like not as a replacement of God, but as said, that, let's say that he works under God, and he is uh, the first person to, uh, to talk to if he want any, if he wants any support from God, like a prophet. <laughs> Can we understand this as well that like they are following the bee? Uh, it is also important for us that we should follow the current caliph of the time as well. You know, this is so true. I mean, look, um, if you, if anyone takes the time to study religious history, mm. um, you will find one thing that, that is cons- constant and consistent since the time of Adam, right up to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, right up to the promised Messiah, and currently, uh, the Khalifa the Tulmisi, the fifth, the spiritual head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, what you will see is that God Almighty has established always one person under the divine, um, you know, appointment as being his appointed person who will lead humanity uh, towards the worship and the true worship of God Almighty. And that is Khalafat. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we know, we know that from the Quran that when Allah decided he was going to establish the system of Khalafat, the angels themselves asked Almighty Allah that will he be such a person that will cause chaos and bloodshed, etc., etc. And Allah said, I know better than you. Mm-hmm. So basically, Allah was clearly stating that he is going to appoint someone who will be his, his appointed spokesperson uh, for humanity. And that's what we find, actually, the Holy Prophet, peace upon him, mentioned himself that a time will come when there will be prophethood and then there will be khalafat and then there will be monarchy and kings. But then again, God Almighty will establish khalafat, khalafat leadership under prophetic, prophetic um, standards of values. So so this is khalafat. This is, uh, um, you know, in, in Hebrew, in, in, in the Christian Jewish, it's Messiah, meaning one who is appointed mm. by God, anointed person by God. So this is this is what is needed, and this is what we have, Alhamdulillah, in the position of uh, the Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So, so you're saying that Holy Prophet already has prophesied that there will be a Khilafat after prophethood. So this, like, I don't want to change the topic, but this questions a lot of answers. Then that there is a possibility of prophethood as well, and then that there will be a Khilafat as well, which we see nowadays. But um. <laughs> Just to understand, um, Imam, so Khilafat is the most important institution in Islam after prophethood? Yes. There has, you see, every prophet when he left, when they, when they left or he left the world, he appointed someone after him. Someone was appointed after him by God Almighty, which was known as Khilafat, which was known as a successor. Mm-hmm. So every faith, including Moses, gave it, Moses after Moses, was Joshua after Jesus, mm-hmm. was James, etc. After Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was Abu Bakr, and then you have the Khulafa Rashidin, and then again, this meant it can only mean that uh, that a divine leadership 
which we know in Islamic terminology as Khalafat, meaning a vicegerent of Almighty Allah, only can Khalafat be established after Prophet comes. So therefore, in the case of uh, the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam, a Khalafat couldn't come about unless and until that Mahdi and Messiah, who was a prophet, was established by God. And then again after that, uh, this system of Khalafat would be established by God Almighty, which we have seen, which we have, which we have seen and which we have, we have observed for the last 125 years mm. of Allah's promise to, to uphold that covenant with humanity by giving a divinely appointed person to unify, like the honeybee, like the queen bee, like mm. the, the honeybee, uh, a, a united uh, community on the divine establishment to lead mankind. That that is clear from from you know last hmm. five six thousand years of yeah. of religious history. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for shedding some light on that. Um, why is the Muslim Ummah in need of Khilafat right now? You know, there was a recently on Twitter. There was a, by Muhammad Hijab. He put up a photograph of uh, if all the Muslim. He pointed to all the Muslim countries surrounding Israel, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And and he said, if all of these were united and uh, under one uh, leadership, you would have an Islamic superpower. And this is so true, right? Mm-hmm. So what he what what he actually inadvertently admitted to was we need Khilafat. Until you have Khilafat, you cannot um, you cannot unite the Islamic Ummah. You mm-hmm. can't do it, yeah. right? So right now, the Islamic Ummah need, is divided. It's mm-hmm. completely divided, yep. right? The only Ummah, which we are, the Jamaat Ahmadiyya is Ummah, we are united around the world in every country, in every nation, of every race of person that's coming to the Jamaat, into the Ahmadi Muslim movement in Islam. We are united as an Ummah under one person, under one Khalifa. And until and unless all the Islamic Ummah follow and accept Hazrat um, Khalifa al-Masih, the fifth, as that divinely appointed a person by God Almighty, the Ummah cannot be, cannot be united. And they need Khilafat. They need it. And it's here. Khilafat is already here in front of them. They just need to recognize it and follow him. So, um, about this Khilafat, you said it was prophesied by the early prophet, peace be upon him. Um, yes. Uh, and you say this has been now fulfilled uh, in our time with the Khilafat we see in, uh, in our community? Yes, because look, Let's be let's be honest. Mm. The honesty has to be there. I mean, for rationality and logic and, and and guidance, we have to be honest with ourselves. I mean, I'm talking about the Muslim Ummah around of all the other mainstream Muslims. We have to be honest. Islamic so-called Ummah mm. is divided, warring, fighting against each other, indecisive of things, not able to work together. Mm. The only the only united force that we're seeing. And I'm not saying this because I'm an Ahmadi Muslim. I'm saying this because this is what we're seeing. The only ummah, the only force within Islam that's united and working for the goodness of humanity, for bringing about peace in the world, bringing, about, bringing humanity back towards God Almighty, is the ummah of Ahmadiyya movement in Islam mm-hmm. under that one divine leadership. So we can see this moving. We, we see it and it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, 
reports that if if the world really took a seat back and took a look, where is this Islam that that the Holy Prophet peace him, said would come in the latter days? They will only find it in Jamaat Ahmadiyya, and they will only find it under the leadership of Hazrat Mizar Masur Ahmad, the fifth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in movement mm-hmm. in Islam. It, it's there. It's clearly there. Thank you so much for the this insight. This, this is really good, mashallah. Very amazing, very informative. Thank you so much, Imam Ibrahim Noon Saib. Um, we understand that you have spent a good time with the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. That is Hazrat Mizar Tahir Ahmad. Um, may Allah show mercy upon him. And you have also spent um, a good time with the current caliph, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizar Musur Ahmad. May Allah strengthen his hand. Um, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, maybe um, all praise belongs to Allah, definitely. Um, could you just impart us with some incidents? Some, sh- sh- if you could share some um, incidents with um, uh, these two amazing men. <laughs> There's so many. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, look, um, as far as Hazrat um, Khalifa to Mr. Rabbah, for me, he was the embodiment of Islam. He was the embodiment of Noor. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, was, as I said at that time in 1991, when I first saw him as a Christian, when I looked upon him as a Christian, at that time in 1991, that if ever I could imagine a prophet of God walking on earth, he was that person. Mm-hmm. And because he had that embodiment of Noor, that embodiment of, of righteousness, that embodiment of everything you would expect from uh, a prophet that is described in the Bible. That's how I came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. So, as far as the Khalifa to Mr. Abraham is concerned, for me, he was, uh, my, you know, he became a mentor to me and, and to a million others of Amadis around the world in his discourses and his teachings and his guidance. But for me, um, I, yes, I had the opportunity to witness him at close quarters. And I can only give you maybe one or two examples mm-hmm. of so many that um, when I when I became, when I had the honor of becoming Saddam Ajus Qadam al the UK, I remember a number of incidences, but one particular one that always is in my heart deeply is is when I went to him to present a report to him. And as he was reading my report, and, and you, as you can imagine, everyone and anyone in that up, in that having that opportunity, I took every moment looking on his face while he was looking at my report. Because you're not going to get that opportunity always again. And I remember just closely watching his face, trying to absorb his, his handsomeness, his spiritual beauty. And then something amazing I saw, which I thought I was, uh, I thought I was going mad actually, to be honest with you. I, mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw light, green light in, in the waters of his eyes. Right? Mm-hmm. And I kept closing my eyes thinking this must be my imagination. Mm-hmm. Right? So I looked again and then the, the, the same green light which was very clearly uh, sh- uh, shining is the word I want to use, from his eyes. And I remember when I left that meeting, I was just completely taken back by what I just saw. And when I left uh, th- that meeting, I happened to bump into uh, Mirma Mutsab. Uh, mm-hmm. former Jamia, principal of Jamia, yep. and told him this incident. And he said to me, Alhamdulillah, you have seen a vision in this sense that he said, 
that the Holy Prophet said, anyone who sees the green in the water of the eyes of a person, that shows the love, the deep love that that person has for me, mm-hmm. for the Prophet. And this showed to me the intense love that Hazrat Khalifa had for the Holy Prophet. Mm-hmm. So this is just one incident. Yeah. This is one incident. Um, uh, I would say the second incident and the four Khalifa would only be this one because I really like this one mm-hmm. when I had the opportunity of, of being part of the Hifas the Khas team mm-hmm. and I was on duty, I was hungry, I was thirsty and I kept saying I'd love a cup of tea in my mind and uh, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd eat something to eat but then I decided, no, you're on duty, you have to, uh, you know, you're protecting the Khalifa of the time. Mm-hmm. So I was standing behind him and, and during the uh, uh, the period of post-Jolta, uh, uh, not post-Jolta, but the Jolta expectation uh, before the Jolta. Mm-hmm. And while I was standing behind Huzur, thinking these things in my mind, and then I said, no, you're on duty, you must stand firm and strong. Next moment, Huzur turned around to me and said, Ibrahim Yunusab, please come and sit beside me and have a cup of tea. Hmm. And I said, Huzur, I know I'm on duty. He said, no, no, <laughs> I know you want tea and I know you're hungry. <laughs> so... Yeah. so so I stopped beside him. It was amazing. It was like he poured the tea for me. He handed me the biscuits. I mean, these are just two many, many examples I can give you. Hmm. Um, as far as Hazrat Khalifa Tunmusi, uh, the fifth is concerned, I have. I am so honored and so blessed and so grateful to Allah that I have have had such a close relationship with him in this. That uh, the greatest blessings was I have seen was when he visited Ireland two times. Hmm. Um, I would say that, um, I'll give you one example. You know, uh, I was in the masjid and the time of the mosque, the inauguration of the mosque being opened, mm-hmm. and someone said to me, Huzur is calling you. Mm-hmm. Right? So I just ran out of the mosque, uh, just went straight looking for wherever Huzur was. Huzur was standing outside the mosque, and uh, he said, come and stand beside me and have a photograph with me. Mm-hmm. And as I was standing beside Huzur, there was a photograph that had been taken, Afterwards, I did not. I, I did not realize at the time, um, but out of my obedience to um, uh, to obeying the Khalifa's instruction uh, to come to to come to him, um, I noticed after the photograph. Afterwards, I had no shoes on. Hmm. So that just shows that when yeah. the Khalifa calls yeah. you, Definitely. you. I didn't. I did. I didn't think about shoes. I didn't think about anything. Hmm. I just simply wanted to. Uh, obey him. Mm. Um, the other one I would share would be um, there's so many. One, the other one I would share would be, which was very very personal to me, and it's it's something that I will never forget. And that is, uh, we were all in a restaurant uh, on a, showing Hazor around uh, the Connemara of Ireland National Park, etc. And uh, like everybody was there, Hazor was in his own own area with his with Hazrat uh, with with his wife, mm. um, Hazrat uh, Amajan. Hmm. Yeah, and um, um, uh, everyone was being served um, dessert, and I was looking around, and everyone had um, um, ice cream. Hmm. And uh, suddenly, I was handed an apple pie, and hmm. uh, I looked around again, and I was thinking to myself, "Why am I the only one with apple pie?" So then, within a few minutes, maybe five, ten minutes. I felt, a, I felt a hand come on my shoulder and Hazur said to me that, did you get the apple pie? Because mm-hmm. I heard you liked apple pie and I bought it for you myself. Oh, wow. 
So, yeah. so I mean, these are just. I mean, there's so much. I mean, I mean, as far as Hazur and his spirituality is concerned, mm. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure all of you are doing the same. I did it every time when Hazur came to Ireland. I've noticed every time that he came to Ireland, and particularly because we were close quarters at that time, was the Nord, was the intense mm. Nord around him. And this is the reality. And I remember in Chester Beta Library, uh, which is a famous library in Ireland, which has the oldest fragments of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It has some of the earliest collections of Quran. Mm-hmm. And that day, the, the, the library was jam-packed with tourists. Mm-hmm. I mean, full. And I remember, and I still remember, the the absolute silence of everyone walking around Hazur and them could not stop looking at him, right? To the point where a woman came to me and said, excuse me, can I just ask, who is that magnificent-looking man that is walking around here? Yeah. And I said to her, this is His Holiness, this is Khalifa. And she herself said, there is a light around him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's another experience. And the last mm-hmm. experience, I really want to share this one, because I think this for me is in line with your topic of your show, mm-hmm. is where I once saw um, a dream uh, recently, recently, maybe in a few last few years, where I seen that in Hazur was beginning Salat. And every posture that he was falling into in the Salat, he was evolving. And by the time he fell into Sajda, he became the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So this is showing mm-hmm. now, at that time and now, he has reached that that particular prophetic standards of values of righteousness. Mm-hmm. He is the closest thing you're ever going to see to a prophet. Mm-hmm. He is the, the closest ever to, on this earth at this moment in time, that you will see the nearest thing to a prophet of God and what 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 possibly a yeah. prophet would have looked like. Yeah. So I mean these are just some experiences. There's yeah. so many I could yeah. I could share with you but maybe just... maybe you should write a book though. And that's what that's what people keep telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I, I, I must do it. actually I should do it actually because yeah. I've seen so much from the listeners we just have reached the end of the show. Thank you for joining. May the peace and blessing of Allah be with you all. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.